So the reading for today is going to be from Romans 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and we are under sin, and it is written, None is righteous, no, no. No one understands, no one seeks to God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. As a way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, which God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So no matter what, Paddy, I'm just going to answer the question here. Are we not me? Um. Can I just say, for those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the staff workers here with the EU. It's really great to be able to be invited by the EU to come and speak at one of our festival opportunities. And um, uh, can I encourage you, if you're a regular attender in the EU, to continue praying for your non-Christian friends and to continue... Uh, can I encourage you uh, to continue to be bold in inviting your friends? And today, um, I want to deal with the uh, particular topic that I've been asked to speak on, which is longing for acceptance. So the question that I want to ask is this one, are you longing for acceptance? And I want to suggest to you that I think we do this all the time in our lives. I want to spend some time today considering our own experience of how we've longed for acceptance. I want to turn to the Bible and uh, try and work through some of the passage that was read for us in Romans chapter 3. Um, and I want to try and uh, help us think about this particular question about how we're longing for acceptance. And I want to suggest that um, one of the ways in which we should be longing for acceptance is actually longing after God. And so I'm going to pray now and ask that God would help us. This is something that Christians do. So if you don't, normally don't hang around with Christians, uh, this is please don't find this weird. This is sort of a fairly normal thing that we do. It's really just asking God to help us. And so I'm just going to pray now. You might like to sit quietly or if you're a Christian, you might like to close your eyes and do that. So why don't we pray and ask that God would help us? Particularly as we're about to open His Word, the Bible, and that He would actually speak to us through it. So let's pray and ask for God's help. Father God, thank You for the opportunity and privilege to be able to meet together as a group of Christians on the university campus. We pray now, please, that You would help us understand what You have to say to us. Well, we pray that You would take away any of the distractions in the previous hour, uh, the things that worry us or cause us anxiety in the rest of our day and for this week. Help us to try and think rightly about You, and we ask this in Your name. Amen. Uh, uh, when I was growing up, there really wasn't a thing called the internet. I'll just let that sink in for a minute. Uh, when I was growing up, there wasn't a thing called the internet. And for some of you, in fact, many of you in the room, that, that's a completely foreign statement, growing up without the internet. 
Uh, many of you, my observation is that you pretty much spend most of your life permanently attached to your phones. Um, moment of honesty, put your hand up right now if the phone is immediately within reach. Put your hand up if it's not. Seriously, no one? All of your phones are immediately written out. Okay, let, moment of honesty here. Like, here's my phone. That's immediately within reach. Although it does have a clock on it. Everything else is turned off. And that's so that I finish on time, do you see? But I suspect your phone isn't immediately in reach, partly because you don't want to miss anything. Is that right? You don't want to miss out on anything. Uh, social media, in some senses, fuels our desire to be liked. Now, this is the whole thing that Facebook works on, doesn't it? It works on the likes. It's all about the likes. When you post something, you post it to some extent in the hope that other people will like it, don't you? Don't sit there and shake your head. We know ourselves too well than that. And when we go on social media, particularly on Facebook, one of the things that Facebook encourages us to do is to like what other people are posting. So much so that I have a large number. Uh, one of the icons at the top of Facebook when you go on is the number of friend, requ friend requests. Uh, one of my children caught me the other day, a while ago. She sort of peered over my shoulder and said, what are you doing? That number's huge. I just have all these pending friend requests sitting there. And part of what goes on is sometimes, you know, people um, suggest friends who I might like to like. But really, ultimately, the question is, will I accept them as my friend? <laughs> now, some of you are very indiscriminate with this. You just select anybody. And then you realize that you've sort of been one of your um, friends or maybe, maybe not one of your friends. Uh, someone's created a fake account and you've just been sort of sucked into it. Because there's not a lot of discernment, is there, about whether or not this person, whether or not I will accept them as my friend. Do you see the space in which we just sort of, it's the air we breathe. Will I accept them? Will they accept me? And so interestingly, a lot of our relationships almost become, if you like, transactional. The other way in which it happens is uh, through technology. Uh, let's see if this works. This is Samsung. Samsung have brought a new phone. Now, I wouldn't really know about that because I've generally used Apple products, but I'm fairly sure it's not far from Apple. And they've brought out this thing called augmented reality. Has anyone got this on their phone? Moment of honesty. Really? Okay, great. Uh, you don't need this, actually. So this is not a product placement advertisement for Samsung. This is me just showing us, actually, the reality that nowadays you can create an avatar of yourself. What it does is, it, uh, from what I can tell, is it takes a sort of a 3D scan of your facial features and turns it into an avatar. But then what you can do is you can customize it. So if you've ever had a conversation with me in about the last eight weeks and you've sort of stood in front of me, you'll notice I have a reasonably decent-sized scar under my right eye. Uh, you can, please don't come and peer at it strangely afterwards. <laughs> I could have put a photo on it on the screen, but it doesn't really... But I guess nowadays, if I don't want people to see that, I could create an avatar of myself and actually just edit that out. Notice what I'm doing? I'm sort of saying, well, if people might find it somewhat confronting that I have a scar under my right eye and therefore they might not accept me in some way, what I can do is I can start to just sort of take that away because maybe that's not how I really want to appear. See, technology actually helps us try and make ourselves more acceptable. But what about our own experience? What about your experience? None of us have sort of jumped into picking up Samsung and augmented reality. But I think in our own experiences, as we've gone through life, we know and feel what it is like to be liked. 
We know what it is to be accepted. There's that feeling of being included into a group that we were previously not part of. Um, maybe it happened right back from the day when at school. Will I be in this group or that group? Will they accept me? Will they not accept me? It, it happens when you get to university. When I turned up to university, um, there was five people from my school who turned up at University of New South Wales, which is where I studied my undergraduate degree. Sure. <laughs> oh, look, I'm here now. Okay. Um, one of the things I had to work out was how will I present myself when I turn up to university? And we've all done it at some point, actually, haven't we? Particularly when we're in first year. First day of uni, you're all excited. You get dressed and you stand there and you have that moment, actually, is what I'm wearing okay? Because when I was at school, it was easy. I just put on the uniform. Sometimes I liked it. Most of the time, I hated it. But now, I actually have to decide, is what I'm wearing okay? And part of what goes in our mind is, will other people accept me if I wear whatever I'm wearing? After about week one or week two, you realise actually pretty much no one really cares what you wear. Please don't wear pyjamas to university. Actually, get dressed. And But we know what it's like, that feeling of being included in a group. There's that sense of relief when whatever efforts we've gone to are actually rewarded with inclusion. And sometimes it brings joy. It brings relief. Sometimes over time it brings contentment. But I think also at the same time, because of the fragility of human nature, there's also that sort of underlying uncertainty as to whether or not I'll continue to be accepted in that group. And that will then affect the way in which I behave in the group. Now, in contrast, I want to suggest we also know and have felt what it's like when we're not included, when we're not accepted. That feeling of exclusion, which sometimes grows to loneliness occasionally to frustration and anger. The internal questioning that comes up, what is wrong with me? Why was I not accepted when everybody else was? What should I have done differently? I think if we actually ponder our own life experiences, this sense of whether or not I'm accepted or not has been very real in our own lives, to varying degrees, of course. So why consider the topic of longing, which is the topic that the EU has committed to for three weeks? Well, if you were here last week, we saw that the Bible indicates that humanity has longings and desires. We've suggested, and I would suggest again, that it's part of what it means to be human, to be made by God. It's innate to humanity. So how then will we approach this question of longing for acceptance? And I want to suggest here that our our experiences actually help us. Our experiences generally are valid forms of showing us about ourselves and are very useful as a means of interpreting how the world functions. Um, I'm not trying to make a definitive statement here. Happy to argue the nuances of it later. But let me propose, following after C.S. Lewis, an argument for considering our longing for acceptance. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says this in his book, Mere Christianity. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. This is Lewis's argument. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Notice the argument that C.S. Lewis is positing here. It's an argument from experience that there is something beyond us, 
Uh, Peter Kreft, a philosopher, extends the argument somewhat and develops this into this particular argument. He proposes this syllogism. Premise number one, every natural innate desire in us corresponds to some real object that can satisfy that desire. So let's just, for example, every innate desire corresponds to a real object that satisfies the desire. You feel hungry. What is the object that satisfies the desire? The consumption of food. Okay. Premise number two, but there exists in us a desire which nothing in time, nothing on earth, no creature, if you like, nothing of this world can satisfy. Notice what Kreft is not arguing. He's not arguing a particular desire that will be common to everybody. But he is proposing that everyone will have a desire which actually cannot be satisfied by something in our own experience, in time, on earth, in this creation. Conclusion, therefore, there must exist something more than time, earth and creatures, which can satisfy this desire, something outside of our current experiences. Very happy to have a conversation about some of whether or not the syllogism holds, um, but let me just put this as a premise. Uh, Joe Puckett, in his book, The Apologetics of Joy, considers this argument and says this, there are infinite ways to fulfill the desires we have. Some are healthy for us, others are addictive and unhealthy. Some are natural, others developed only by habit. Some have real objects that correspond to them. And again, he says, thus the argument set forth in the book concerns whether or not mankind has a desire for a real object that corresponds to it, but yet does not exist anywhere in the world. Call it a desire for transcendence, the other, something beyond us. I want to suggest to you that this longing for acceptance is one such desire within us. It is a valid longing that many, if not all of us, feel to varying degrees. And we seek to satisfy this longing in various ways. In our current experience, up until however old we are, some of those ways in which we've sought to fulfill that longing may have been helpful for us. And the desire may have been fulfilled while in other ways it may have perhaps been more destructive. We can seek to fulfill our longing for acceptance in the things of the world, I'm not denying that or disputing it, and often they will temporarily satisfy this longing. But the deeper longing of acceptance is, I think, unable to be fulfilled in the here and now. Now, Puckett goes on to describe this deeper longing, quoting other uh, philosophers, by saying, It's the aching and yet pleasurable, intense longing for a life that we cannot yet have but naturally and universally crave. It is this feeling of having lost something we once had, giving us a sense of homesickness and discontentment with the less than ideal world we currently find ourselves in. My suggestion to you is you may be starting to feel such a thing even at such a young age in your life. I would suggest to you that as life goes on, this desire will grow in you, actually. That sense that there is things in the world that cannot be fully satisfied. So working from Lewis's argument and Kreft's premises, I want to show, I think, how a longing for acceptance is part of who we are. But the manner in which this desire for acceptance will only ultimately be fulfilled is actually in rightly understanding that this longing can only be fulfilled by God, the one who made us the one in whom all desires are ultimately fulfilled, rather than ultimately and completely from the things within this creation. 
So I want to go to Romans 3, the passage that was read for us earlier, and consider whether or not we are acceptable to God. What would it take for us to be acceptable to God? And how can this fulfill our longing for acceptance? So let's turn there now. If you've got a copy of the text open in front of you, that would be very helpful. If not, it'll be on the screen. So the question to ask ourselves is, are you longing for acceptance? I think if we just sort of randomly went out onto the campus and sort of approached people and said, do you think you are acceptable to God? I think many people would say they might pause for a minute, but then I think generally they would say, I I think I am acceptable before God. I think some of us here in the room would probably answer a similar question. Very few of us would say we're really terrible people. Very few of us would say that we're completely unacceptable. Generally, I think we all feel that we're fairly acceptable to God. Sure, we're not perfect. We've all done some things we regret and would try not to do again. But generally, I think I'm acceptable to God. I want to suggest to you that as we read through this part of the Scripture, that's part of our problem, actually. If we set the standard of what is acceptable, we often compare ourselves to others. And there's always someone we can find who before God is probably less acceptable than us. Sure, we can probably also find people who we think, oh, they're much more acceptable to God. But we can probably always find someone who is less acceptable than us, particularly if we use our standards. And I want to suggest that that somehow actually doesn't seem quite fair. It doesn't seem quite just. Even from a human argument, it doesn't seem just that you or I would decide whether or not we are acceptable to God. Partly because my standard, which makes me acceptable to God, might also be the same same standard that actually makes you unacceptable to God. If I set the standard about what was acceptable to God and you didn't meet up to it, I think you'd feel, how is that fair? Where is the justice in that? So on one hand, I want to say, isn't it good that God actually sets the standard? For from the biblical point of view, he is not like us. The claim of the Bible is he is perfect. He is completely just. He is completely fair. So isn't it good that God sets the standard of what is acceptable and what is not? Well, actually, maybe that's not a good thing. As you read through how the Bible describes us before God's standard, Maybe it's not such a good thing that God sets the standard. We've had the text read for us already. Can I point out what it says in verse 10? As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. According to God's standard, actually none of us are acceptable before God. all are under what Paul describes as this thing called sin, which is the word the Bible uses for a significant break in the relationship between God and humanity. If this is God's standard, and the Bible claims that it is, then no one is acceptable to God. So while we might say, actually, I'm pleased that God sets the standard and not me, now do you start to feel a little troubled? Maybe it would be better if I set the standard, because at least then I'd be acceptable to God. 
Interestingly, if you read the verse as well, uh, you'll also notice that even God's chosen people, the Jewish nation, were not able to be accepted by God according to this particular standard. So my question now is, how do you feel about that? Does it trouble you? Does it give you some anxiety? Does it make you feel a bit uncomfortable? I suspect for some we would protest. We would almost demand that God accept us. And the claim we would make is, after all, we're not that bad. God, I'm actually reasonably acceptable. I'm not that bad. Some of us might not really care. Some of us might go, I don't think God exists anyway, so what's the problem? Some of us might say, well, I don't think God's particularly interested in me anyway. And look, he's set a standard that I can't meet, so clearly he's not interested in me. He clearly doesn't want to be friends with me. He clearly doesn't want me to be acceptable because he set the standard so high that how can I be? But I think sometimes there's a third reaction, one that's probably closer to our own experience when we pause and consider our own life and our experiences. I think for some of us, when we're confronted with this particular standard, we perhaps quietly resign ourselves to the realisation that actually we are not good enough for God. And we pause and reflect further on our life and the way in which we've behaved and actually who we really are when we look inside ourselves, I think for many of us we'll ultimately come to the conclusion that, you know what, this is right. I cannot meet God's standard. But we really don't want to admit that to others. Because essentially what we're saying, if we're honest, is I'm not acceptable to God. And I think this comes about as we start to know ourselves. And I think in our own experience, we've tried to cover up and hide who we really are. Almost purely for the sake of being liked and accepted by others. Uh, We do it, in some sense, as if we agonise over what to wear in the morning. I've done it before. You get up in the morning, you get dressed and you think, I look okay, and you look in the mirror and you go, oh, maybe not. So you go and get changed. This morning, literally, do I wear a collared shirt? Do I not wear a collared shirt? Now, I didn't really agonise over it. It was a reasonably quick decision. The collared shirt was clean. So the collared shirt gets put on. (laughs) But for some of us, while we sort of laugh about it, for some of us, actually, this is a fairly serious thing. It just seems to take an inordinate amount of time just to work out literally what clothes do I put on my body? Because part of what's going on in the back of our head is, how will people see me? What will they think of me? Will they like me? Will they accept me? We do it when we're in relationships with other people. It's not just about the outside, but also the inside. We do it by not always being completely honest with one another. We try to make ourselves sometimes appear just that little bit more impressive. Because we are afraid at times, and perhaps a bit ashamed, that being honest will actually tarnish the relationship or maybe even ultimately wreck it. And part of what goes on in the back of our mind is, well, I guess they're doing it as well. So it doesn't matter if I do it a little bit, a little bit of embellishment here, a little bit of... uh, We do it when we're posting on social media, as we've talked about already. We do it by curating what we want people to see of us. 
and we try and get around it by taking a photo and then we put hashtag no filter on it. It's actually the tenth photo of that sunset that we've taken because we really had to get it right. See, we actually do it, it's just almost the sort of the air that we breathe, so much so that actually we don't notice that we're doing it. We curate what people want to see of us, what we wear, who we hang out with, what we eat, where we go on holidays. We think, actually, this is probably not Insta-worthy. I'm not even going to post this holiday. And often we do it to gain the likes and approval of others. We do it by trying to carefully select what path our life will take, the job we will have. Will it be acceptable to our parents? Will it be acceptable based on the university that I've studied at? Will it be acceptable for my future prospects? Friends, I think deep down when we consider our life, we deeply long for acceptance. It's reflected in all sorts of ways in which we behave. Now, sometimes the manner of our interactions with others answer this question for us. Just reflect on the last week. Reflect on the way in which you've engaged with others. The decisions that you've made. Are you longing for acceptance? I think when we come back to this particular passage and we realise the Bible's description of us and the way in which we behave, actually we realise we're not acceptable to God. And there's nothing we can do to make us, ourselves, acceptable to Him. So what would it take for God to accept us? What would it take for God to declare us acceptable? See, in the grand scheme of things, God could have, having made us, given us all of the things of the world, He could have looked at us and when He sees us for what we truly are and who we truly are, the way we behave, He could have and had every right to just turned His back on us and said, according to my standards, you're not acceptable. I want nothing to do with you for now and for all eternity. And almost no matter how much you you reached out to God, the little friend request sitting on God's eternal computer will just sit there because he thinks, I know exactly what you're like. You do not meet my standard and therefore I want nothing to do with you. And as a result, everything that comes from his hand, all goodness, all purity, all blessing, all satisfaction, all relationships, all freedom, all friendship, all things honourable, life would ultimately be withdrawn. And so we would exist in a place where God is absent. For some of us, that might be where we feel life is right now. However, friends, the great news of the Christian gospel is God in His mercy chooses to make us acceptable to Himself. God looks at us with all of our faults, all of the things we do, the fact that we do not meet His standard, and instead of saying, you are not acceptable, what does God say? He says, I'm prepared to make a costly decision and carry out a costly action so that you will be acceptable to me. He says, I'm willing to, if you like, like you, even though I know how you've treated me and how bad you really are. And this is what we read in Romans, the next part. It was read for us earlier. Notice what you see here, the means of God declaring us acceptable or well, the word that the Bible uses is righteous, right before God, is in the appearing of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, God's promised chosen King and Saviour. That's what it says there in verse 22. 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. And there is no distinction, not just for the Jews, God's people, no, actually for everybody because all have sinned. When the Bible says all, that includes actually everybody, you and I. And it comes as a result of trusting that Jesus is God's promised Saviour and King. God's declaration that we are acceptable before Him, notice there in verse 24, is the free gift through the redemption that Jesus wins for us in His death, the shedding of His blood. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, goes to the cross to die that we would be acceptable to God. That, friends, is how costly it is for us to be acceptable for God. If you'd like to be my friend on Facebook, what does it cost me? The click of a mouse. No guarantee I'm ever going to message you. No, no guarantee. Like, what do you think I do with all of my friends? Every day I wake up and I go, I should message all my friends. <laughs> Not really very costly. But look at the cost that God bears for you and for me. His own son goes to die. See, we seek to make ourselves acceptable to others, but it's nowhere near as costly as what it cost God for you to be acceptable to Him. It cost Him the life of His Son, a sacrifice that turns aside the anger that was against us in our unacceptable nature. And as a result, we would now be acceptable to Him. The work, God has done all the work, friends, but it does need to be received by faith. Not blind faith, but in this case, the object of faith is the person of Jesus. Will you trust this? Will this be the thing you depend on as the means by which you understand your acceptance before God? And part of that is recognizing your unacceptability before God and trust that Jesus' work in dying makes you acceptable to God. Friends, are you longing for this acceptance? So how then does this fulfill our longing for acceptance? Well, in light of this, I think much of our thinking about acceptance often revolves around me, does it not? We often become the object of our own acceptance. I desire people to accept me. It's a very individualistic understanding. It is as I am to others. It's about how I show myself. It's what I desire others will think about me. And at times, as I've said earlier, we want to avoid the shame or embarrassment of not meeting others' standards. And sometimes when we're not accepted, what do we tend to do? We tend to blame others for it. I want to suggest to you today that if we continue to search for a longing for acceptance in the things of the world, then I think we will remain genuinely and deeply unfulfilled. There will be moments, yes, where we'll long for some acceptance and that will come, but only in a temporary fashion or in a partial way. So we may experience some satisfaction of this longing, but I want to suggest to you that God has placed in us the desire to be accepted by Him. It's one of the longings that keeps showing us actually in our human nature and in our human experience that we are finite creatures, that there is a transcendent God and He desires for us to be accepted. He desires us to recognize His transcendence, to understand the costly sacrifice of His Son, 
to understand His forgiveness and to trust in Jesus for our acceptance. So the question before us is, what means will you use to try and fulfill this desire for acceptance? I want to suggest that the Bible proposes that the antidote is, as we've seen, that God accepts us when we come to Him with all of our faults, our weakness and our rebellion. He takes us as we are and makes us in the death of Jesus acceptable to Him. He bears the cost. That is the means of our acceptance to Him. Friends, here then is the God who made you. God who is infinitely loving, caring, honest, patient, gracious, generous, a God in whom you can have deep joy. Are these not the things that you long for in relationships with other people? And to some extent, some of these you will actually experience. But all of these can be deeply found in a relationship with God. Friends, this is the God who made you, who knows you intimately better than yourself, who has now in the death and resurrection of His Son forgiven you that you are now acceptable to Him. He offers a relationship with you, one that will fulfill your longing for acceptance. In fact, the only relationship that will truly fulfill that longing for acceptance both in the here and now and for all eternity. The question I want to leave you is, what is stopping you from taking up this offer? For some of us who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, we have taken up this offer of acceptance. In which case, my word to you is, do not lose sight of that. Recognise that you are forgiven by God. Live that out day by day. Sure, enjoy the fulfilment of certain longings from part of the creation, for that is God's good gift to us. But remember, the fulfilment of all of your deepest longings only come in a relationship with Him. For those of you who have not taken up God's offer of acceptance, I can't prove to you that God exists. What I can do is I can show you what the Christian gospel offers. The Christian gospel offers hope in your longing for acceptance. The Christian gospel offers you the means by which you would enter into a relationship with the God who knows you, the God who loves you, provides an antidote to that deepest longing of acceptance. The offer is there. What is stopping you from taking it? On the screen is a particular prayer that uh, we've prayed at a couple of our festival opportunities. I'm going to put before you again today. Now, I'm going to pray this prayer. It may be that as you read the words of the prayer, this gets some deep resonance with you, actually. Because in your own experience, as you've now heard the Word of God, you actually, you know what, I think the Bible's actually true. And so you might like to pray this prayer. If that's the case, I'd love you to come and see me afterwards or come and talk to Jack. We can uh, help you work out what it means to live now, having been accepted by God. But I think there are others in the room who just need more time to think about whether or not what we're saying is actually true. In which case, can I encourage you that as you leave here this afternoon, do not just put aside everything. I think as you reflect on your own experience in life, I hope and pray that actually you will come to a greater realisation that actually the thing that will fulfil your deepest longing for acceptance is a relationship with the God of the universe. So I'm going to pray this prayer now, and some of you might pray this as a confirming of the fact that you've been accepted by God. Some of you will just sit there and listen and ponder whether or not this is actually true 
and whether or not this needs to be true in your own life. And for some people, you might have come to the realisation as you've reflected on the claims of Christianity and as you've reflected on your own experience that actually this is a prayer you need to pray today. Wherever we're up to, why don't you just close your eyes or just sit quiet and I'm going to pray this prayer now. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you and I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. My encouragement to you, just by way of a concluding word, particularly for those of you who are joining, the, just joined us today, is that you talk to the person who brought you. Ask your Christian friend why they have found a fulfillment of the longing for the acceptance in their life in the person of Jesus.